0: So welcome to this week's episode of the Python People podcast uh, with me Guy Bevington, the MD of True North Recruitment Group. Um, And this week uh, I'm honoured to be joined by a fellow Guy, Guy Maskell. Guy, how the devil are
1: you? I'm well, thank you. I'm well.
0: Good, good, good to see just just a couple of guys hanging out on a a Wednesday afternoon.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's it, it's not often that we encounter other guys, really, is it?
0: not oh, you're already my favourite podcast guest of all time, just for, you know, having the same name. But um, guy, you know, guy, a rare breed.
1: guy Squared.
0: <laughs> I like that. We'll go with that. Um, so, uh, yeah, Guy, welcome. Thank you very much for uh, for, for coming uh, today to have a chat with us. And um, I guess, yeah, by way of introduction, uh, for those people that are yet to have the pleasure, um, you are the Head of Data Science for a business called Resitech. Um, and uh, give you an opportunity to, to tell us a little bit about yourself in a moment. But uh, to sort of frame the, the chat today and, and sort of why we thought it was good for us to get together and uh, put the world to rights. Um, so we had a chat you know, a few weeks ago when we sort of got into uh, talking a bit about you know uh, data science strategy and kind of how different companies are geared up for it and how their, their departments are sort of structured, etc. cetera. And uh, yeah, we thought it would be quite useful to just maybe unpick this whole Ball of twine uh, that is the world of, of data science in terms of you know kind of why we need it and you know what companies need to do to actually make it work and and so on and so forth um, and obviously somebody of your your caliber and your experience would be uh, you know I'm sure have some very very good opinions and uh, insights into that so uh, we thought yeah let's get together we'll do a podcast on it and uh, here we are so um, before we get into all of that do you want to just maybe tell us a little bit about your uh, your your background, your career to date, um, and uh, you know how we've got to, to where we are today?
1: Sure, so once upon a time uh, I was uh, a young boy, always interested in science, how the world worked, wanted to be a scientist, you know, figured I'd go stay at, at university. Uh, I didn't end up staying at university, but I did get uh, my physics degree. That led on to a MSc in Space Science, Uh, which nearly uh, led on to a PhD uh, at UCL, but that fell through for one reason or another. And so I found myself uh, working at a government research agency, the Defense Evaluation Research Agency in Malvern, working on radar data. And that was uh, sort of where I got to work on my PhD so because that that was one thing that appealed to me about them because one thing that I said at the interview is you know I'd like to do a PhD and they said yep we support that I thought right great Um, and so I ended up and it was somewhat project led you you know if you're sponsored by someone you're going to end up uh, you know sort of uh, working on what fits their project and so I ended up working not really on a very like physics-y uh, thing but on the in this sort of like applied maths area sort of the, in in the sort of application called automatic target recognition uh which you'd really recognize today as uh, well another sort of name or it came under the, the the under the banner of statistical pattern recognition which people would know of today as really machine learning and so particularly detection it's basically classification um And so I ended up doing my PhD in machine learning, as you would call it these days. And back in the days before scikit-learn existed, so I was coding a radial basis function network in Fortran. Uh, (laughs) None of this this importing stuff from sklearn. So people today don't know that they're born. (laughs) <laughs> um, so yeah, so I ended up getting a PhD in machine learning whilst working. It, it was uh, called Kinetic by that point. Oh yeah. Um, and I got sort of fed up with uh, there for one reason or another, and took the opportunity to leave with redundancy. Um, and then I saw a startup at Harwell calling for exactly the mix of skills that I'd developed from my PhD and from a PhD in getting into machine learning. I'd really got. Uh, sort of tuned into the maths that was involved in machine learning uh, which was an uh, you know an an interesting sort of side turn for me and so this startup at Harwell was calling for sort of a a bunch of stuff this is not Resotech it so happens that this startup at Harwell was Cobalt Light Systems and at Cobalt Light Systems, they were developing an application for Raman spectroscopy. So uh, there I developed the processing system algorithms for the liquid explosive detection system. And that led to the uh, winning the 2014 McRobert Award from the Royal Academy of Engineering for that product for the team, uh, which was really, really satisfying. Um, And Cobalt was acquired by Agilent Technologies in 2017 uh, and that was a good time to move on Uh, because it was partly job done and also partly I'm not a massive fan of like the big enterprise sort of behemoths Uh, and found my way to be lead data scientist at Cloud Factory. Uh, where I got to really benefit from being able to work in the cloud there. So that got me really sort of tuned into working on AWS. And unfortunately, after a fundraising round there, they had a restructuring, decided to uh, sort of pretty much, you know, sort of get rid of the uh, UK office. Uh, and so then found myself looking again, and then ended up back at Harwell um, with Resotech, which is where I am now.
0: Okay, fantastic! Well, thanks. That. That's a very, very impressive uh, journey so far in the world of uh, of data science. I'm always, I'm always uh, fascinated by how people arrive in the world of data science because you know it is, I think, still to a more or less degree one of those kind of sexy areas of tech that you know people are um, kind of drawn to. And um, but it's it's great because you know I guess uh, prior to sort of focusing on data science, I. I did a lot of work in the software engineering field and, and a lot of people kind of came from quite a classic route of, you know, STEM background, maybe computer science, went in software engineering, it's quite a logical progression where, as with data science, one of the things I'm always really interested in is, is people's backgrounds before they arrive in it because uh, it seems to me, you know, one of those uh, areas of tech where it does bridge quite nicely between the technology and the business and you can often find people that have actually come at it from lots of different angles but they just didn't enjoy their the marriage of those things together, um, but obviously it sounds like you've clearly come from a very, a very statistical and kind of numerical background, and it was quite a, a logical choice for you to sort of progress in this field. Bearing in mind,
1: it, you were yeah, it it it's always the very sort of, it's always the very hard. It, it it's a hard numerical, um, sort of data background that I come from you know, so radar data and then spectroscopy data. So it's very much sort of numeric, high dimensional uh, data world that I come from and um, uh, doing sort of classification analysis, you know, developing algorithms for that kind of data. So I'm not sort of a, you know, particular like sort of churn modeling or um, uh, sort of time series forecasting or natural language processing person per se. It's that sort of numeric background. And in fact, I, I kind of found myself in data science or as a data scientist by accident because I think Cobalt's uh, job advert was for scientific programmer or scientific data analyst, maybe something like that. Because I've been like a, a research scientist at Kinetic. Um, and so when I started at Cobalt, they I think they literally just plucked a contract template out the draw and sort of realize later on that it had me down as a software developer. Um, and I was in the software team and it is a small company. So, you know, in a way sort of small odds, but I was sort of like, over time I was like pointing, I was like tugging on sort of my manager's sleeve and saying, "Really, not a software developer. I'm not doing what sort of like kind of you and the other software developer does. So eventually we got around to sort of, okay, let, let's make it more appropriate. Um, what, you know, what job title kind of do you want? And we, we sort of like mooted a few possibilities. And data science was one that we, that, that was one of the options. I, this would, bear in mind, this was maybe 2011, because I started with them late 2010. So it might have been 2011, I can't remember exactly what year it was um you know and data science wasn't particularly a, a big i think job title then it was starting to get a bit hyped in but maybe in 2012 something like that ish um and we hit upon data scientist because it was like one of the options that had been mooted it's like well okay yeah i'm a scientist i work with data so that kind of makes sense and so it was in in entire ignorance of of this burgeoning field outside and it was a happy coincidence really because then identifying as a data scientist i started to pick up on this these other references to data science which in turn led me to connect with a whole new community of people using these kinds of yeah techniques using r or using python Um, and so i connected with them that way but after sort of finding myself as a data scientist rather than thinking hey i want to be one of those data scientist things
0: yeah yeah absolutely it's kind of one of those things that sort of sneakily you know snuck on the scene does not it and it's weird i don't know why i remember this but i do remember the exact place and time where i was when i was with a candidate i went for a beer with a candidate in um uh hammersmith because i placed him at a company called Rap in Hammersmith. It a guy called Steve Papa. She was an episode developer at the time. And uh, yeah, I went, went for a beer and I remember him saying to me, it was about 2010, um, you know, oh, have you heard of these, uh, what you want to be recruiting for now guys, these data scientists. And I was like, what? I like, never heard the, never heard of the, the,
1: the <laughs> what, what, what? What are they then? Yeah, I know. I was
0: like, wow, that sounds cool, but um, you know, I don't know what the hell that is. And uh, yeah, it's kind of like 10 years ago, I guess. But um, why do you, why do you feel then that, you know, Data science has had this huge, because I guess if you go to most people, not even from a technology point of view, but just most stakeholders in the business, out they, they've heard of data science and they kind of, and hopefully in some businesses, they're, they're very aware of it and know actually what it's done for the business as well uh, in some instances. But um, why do you think that data science has had such a huge uptake and kind of rise in popularity over the last few years in relation, you know, in comparison to other areas of, of tech?
1: So I suppose from from the business perspective, um, pessimistically, I'd say it's because of a load of hype and misconceptions that if you sprinkle this magic pixie dust called data science around, wonderful things will just happen. (laughs) Um, Optimistically, I'd say uh, that businesses have become more data literate and are simply aware of the value data and data science can provide and want to leverage that Um, realistically I would say that there's a sort of often horrible or jarring mishmash of those two worldviews and so you could end up um, sort of having to do a bit of education at times in order to uh, sort of uh, as a data scientist Um, But on the candidate front, I think, again, sort of on on, the negative side, the pessimistic side, there is far too much hype about the power of machine learning, especially under the AI branding, uh, you know, whatever that AI thing is. And a, a, a lot of candidates think that, hey, I can import from scikit-learn or you know I, follow, I followed an online tutorial with tensorflow in order to do some uh so sort of, yes another computer vision project and that i can stroll into some sort of tech company or some company and be one of these rock star things with this sexiest job of the 21st century um so i think there's often a, a sort of reality check for them uh, at some point in that journey um But optimistically, again, on the candidate front, uh, what we've seen over the last, yeah, certainly 10 10 years, probably more recently, is a rise of what seems now like a seemingly infinite range of online learning opportunities. Because data science is constantly changing, the tool stack, tech stack is is constantly changing, um, and there is just more and more to learn all the time it it seems so to be able to to learn stuff to be able to keep on top of that the availability of this wealth of online learning opportunities has really been a massive enabler for people to pick up fundamental skills that they need um so i think that is a that that that's definitely big help because undoubtedly huge amount of people uh you know wannabe data scientists actual data scientists they're getting into it they're learning what they need they're keeping up to date through all of these these online learning opportunities
0: yeah absolutely absolutely and i think you you know i like the fact you came at it from both angles there the optimist and the pessimist gave <laughs> a very nice balanced view um yeah
1: there's there's but there is scope for a bit more clarity um in this field uh i mean yeah data analysts i think uh saw this burgeoning uh sort of job title as a way to earn get a pay rise by basically doing the same job um so you've ended up with people uh sort of getting into getting a job as as a data scientist thinking that they're going to be doing sexy machine learning uh sorry ai um, and they end up running SQL queries in order to populate Tableau or Power BI dashboards mm. um, or where data scientists create, you know, machine learning model after mach- machine learning model, when in actual fact, that's not what the business needs. It, yeah. it, it would just wanted some, some good solid insight from a wealth of data that mm. it had. Um, and so all, all of these activities can get called data science so it's become this sort of big bucket that everybody's wanted to pile into Mm. and then once they're in that bucket sort of people start looking at each other and going well you do something totally different to what I do what are we here for
0: yeah absolutely yeah it's it's quite quite funny actually somebody gave me a really funny um quite interesting analogy the other day of saying that data science is a bit like um sex as a teenager everybody's everybody's talking about it everybody wants to be doing it but nobody knows how to do it <laughs> and uh, when I heard that I was like yeah that's actually quite true in many many instances Um that uh I suppose with that in mind I mean what in your experience then and uh, I totally understand your uh, point there about you know existing roles in data being morphed into data science for the sake of data science sometimes and you kind of you lift up under the hood of you know data science departments sometimes and see what the majority of people are actually doing in the team and it and like i said it is just a you know often could be purely data analysis and actually there isn't a huge amount of kind of ml or, or statistical modeling or anything that's involved within it um so i think there is this kind of uh, like i say because it, it's very a la mode you know it's it's the it's a sexy thing to seem to be doing but actually what is the strategy behind it? And, uh, you know, is is it actually what the business needs? Like you said, but from your experience so far, I mean, what, what do you find often can be the blockers to effectively being able to implement data science effectively for a business?
1: I would say fundamentally, I think you you mentioned the strategy, the, the word strategy and it is that it's strategy and infrastructure. Um, even, you know, from talking to people looking around time and time again, I see businesses that really have little clear idea what a data-enabled business strategy might look like. And they think that hiring data scientists will be it. That's all they need to do for a data strategy. Um, And unicorns will sort of dance past the window, sort of, you know, pooping rainbows. Um, And I, I mean... I, I sort of I hesitate to to use the analogy that sort of that there's a lot of bright people working in business. There's a lot of but the, okay in the senior leaderships even there'll be a lot of motivations. There'll be founders that were really motivated to start something. There'll be sort of finance people charged with uh, you know managing the revenue etc. Um, but I think there's su- surprisingly a lack of real understanding I don't I'll probably come under fire for this um but hopefully people will see what I mean even in at the sea level there's possibly a bit of a misunderstanding about how finance works and what I mean by that is that you see um and and there is a there, there is a theme of this startups getting VC funding to fuel growth and what does that VC want they want to see growth So the startup is driven to demonstrate growth kind of almost at any cost in order to get to the next round of VC funding. And the cycle continues like this until at some point the business crashes and burns because they've spent so much effort chasing growth uh, to sort of support that next injection of funding that they didn't build the fundamentals. Mm. And I I see this with, with data as well. So leaders sort of, uh, you know, think, oh, we need to like chase this sort of this this latest uh, tech stack um, in in the belief that uh, sort of following in the footsteps of these big tech companies, the same success will rub off on them. But you can't just copy someone else's tech stack and have success happen. So, yes, the tech absolutely is a wonderful enabler, but you've got to have a clear idea what it is that you want it to enable. What do you want to use that tech for? And that's one reason I particularly like services like AWS. It's got so many services that you can choose from to build solutions, you think of them like Lego pieces, but it also emphasizes architecture. It's not, hey, here's a big smorgasbord of, of services that you can use, just throw them at your problem. AWS, you know, it's got white papers, it really does strongly emphasize the five pillars, it strongly emphasizes sound architecture. So you've got to know what it is that you're architecting. And I think that's the key thing with with implementing a data science, uh, sort of uh, strategy, effectively in a business. What is it that you actually want it to do? And then you can actually look at how to architect some data science into that.
0: Yeah absolutely that's a great point and uh, be interesting to get your perspective actually on you know maybe a bit of a divide that i've identified in my uh, sort of experience of the data science market and and how effectively it is implemented you know for these kind of older businesses that are probably a bit more steeped in heritage and tradition however you want to define it where tech hasn't necessarily been at the beating heart of the strategy of the business it's kind of almost been a bit of a bolt-on function on the side of, of what the core service of what the business does seem to struggle a bit more in terms of actually implementing effective data science strategies where yeah because it, 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 it feels often like it's a lot of winning hearts and minds um, to actually get the value you know the, the, the stakeholders need to be engaged on the journey just as much as the you know the data team wants to be rolling out some effective uh, data science strategies and obviously if you don't do that it's it's a bit doomed from the start and uh, we're sort of seeing a bit of a divide between businesses where maybe they're earlier really stage you know actually technology driven businesses and and kind of ai whether you want to define it as you know data science machine learning whatever it's kind of at the at the fundamental strategy you know it's what the business does and it's, it's at the heart of the business and those kind of um businesses in in kind of my experience mm-hmm. not not sort of uh, black and white but generally speaking they do seem to have a healthier culture around um, you know actually making it work and some quite successful examples of uh, you know, what they have achieved in growing out some really quite um, formidable data science divisions um, but have you kind of noticed anything similar around that what, what would your sort of take be on do you think you can actually implement a data science strategy into a, a business where they're a little bit you know behind the curve technically and um, it's, it's not really
1: that involved in what they do. Oh, there'd be there's there's a sort of infinite, not infinite, but there's a huge, it, this is quite a high dimensional space to operate in here. Um, so pulling on a couple of threads that you, uh, sort of dangled in front of me. Um, I think actually, if you're a well-established business, then let's, let's say you're an enterprise business. Let's say you're a big business. Um, you've probably got some they they may not be amazing but you'll have some sort of mature systems some sort of mature processes in place and at least if you've got that then that is something that can be migrated that is something that can be built upon hey we've got these processes we know what they are they are things that can be sort of digitally data sort of uh, enabled there um there are the the, say the newer startups and very often i mean i think you're more likely to get this with the startups than with the older companies if nothing else because of the consequence of when they were born but the more recent companies so the more startups they're probably doing something more, they're they're more likely to be doing something in tech. So they're more likely to be a data driven company anyway, which isn't to say that they've got great processes, but their product is perhaps more likely to be the data rather than selling paperclips and the data is an incidental thing there. So I think there's, so for me, I see two particular divides or two particular kind of worlds with a bit of a glass partition between them one is the data science that is on like the business intelligence side of things where you're dealing with the company's data and decisions will influence company processes on the other hand you've got data science that actually enables that really drives the product itself that that is the product itself and i think for me that those are the the companies the applications that appeal i think uh, uh, that bit more because you're actually building a data science machine learning a, a, a data driven application rather than some sort of analytics come uh sort of uh, data science function that's there to sort of augment business decisions
0: mm, yeah that's a really great point actually because i mean it's going back to the point i was making earlier about how a lot of companies rightly or wrongly seem to have rebadged whatever existing data function they had and called it the data science team um when obviously we're speaking to candidates for the first time and obviously qualifying because data science clearly it's this huge umbrella that sits across a lot of different technologies and disciplines and techniques in in data and i guess we kind of always use a, a relatively crude but i think quite effective uh, measure of you know where people's strengths lie where they kind of identify and, and sort of add value in the data science sphere uh, and we sort of see these three kind of main pillars you know you've got the, the analytics space like you mentioned and you know kind of uh, knowledge of visualization tools such as power bi and clip View and Shiny and all that kind of thing, and then you've got more of the actual software engineering, data engineering uh, side of things that are more involved with, you know, like I say cloud um, architecture, maintaining data pipelines, and and that kind of things. And then you've got the actual statistical modeling, machine learning, algorithm development, um, you know, ML uh, side of it. And and I guess we kind of see data science is a little bit of a Venn diagram of all of those things and people obviously identify in different areas depending on what kind of backgrounds they've come from. But I'd be interested to know when you're, you know, hiring for a data scientist for, for your team, how do you assess what is a, a good actual data scientist versus, you know, a data engineer or or someone that's come from analytics or someone that's maybe just worked on the statistical side, but hasn't actually got the experience of applying real world models, you know, what, what, what sort of stands out to you as a, uh, an exemplary or an exciting data scientist what do you look for
1: for me i i look less deeply technically than you might think and what i mean there is yes python or r they're pretty much table stakes you know somebody said oh i could do you know whatever in tableau tableau or excel it's like well yeah great but that's not Really, sort of for us. Um, so, so programming, sort of ability or or competence, uh, comfort for sure. That's table stakes. But probably the fundamental thing is I actually really value creative critical thinking above all else. Um, so I don't care. I don't care so much if you've got particular experience with you know SK Learn. Um, you know, if you've got that basic programming competence, you could go to any um, yeah, documentation and say, okay, this is how I sort of uh, use this API. In exactly the same way that when I came to resitech I'd not really done anything with geospatial data, found myself using uh, packages like Xarray and, you know, thinking, okay, how do I get this API to do what I want it to do? and you hit the documentation but what what i do care is is that people value the data and also uh so you have to you have to love data but also you have to know that you can't trust data as far as you can throw it you really should expect treat your data like it i i I heard this wonderful phrase uh i think on a podcast uh some time ago, that you should really treat your data like it might jump out at you from behind a bush. Because <laughs> at some point your data will do that yeah. to you. Um, so what I want is if someone is working with me in my team, I want to know that when they give me something, when they do something, that I can trust it. Mm. That they've checked their own work because they've been thinking about it like this, rather than somebody that goes well i did this thing and it must be right because it's what you know it's what the the function produced yes. um so that's prob because i i don't want to have to be double checking or, or knowing that i've got i'm probably going to have to redo someone's work i want someone that can think creatively critically about the problem um even come up with a new way of tackling it and that you can that you can trust sort of what what they do
0: yeah i think that's a great answer it's, it's a really sort of refreshing and quite you know pragmatic way of of looking at it and um, and uh we did a, a podcast a couple of weeks ago actually about you know people that cross train from a different um industry and come into data science you know, sort of, uh, on the thread of what i was talking about earlier and the manager i was speaking to was uh, he was actually from a mechanical engineering background and realized that a lot of the work he was doing was actually quite quite similar and decided to go into into data science, um, and yeah, he was basically saying that uh, it's all about—you know—you don't have to um, have come from a data science background to be good at it, but to have the skill set of critical thinking is probably the most important thing to him as well. Um, and he said that's actually why he's been so successful in the world of data science in a relatively short space of time. And he actually has only been in the in the field for about two years but you know it's like quite a, a meteoric success and and uh it's sort of uh, risen up to the ranks of of manager and he was saying he actually sees it as a positive sometimes if someone hasn't necessarily got a, a master's or, or a you know a phd in data science but they've come from a a different field where they've they've shown you know that they can think about problems problem solve and think about things logically and critically and uh, you know the skills around the actual data science technology itself can be learned and i think that's 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 kind of a nice way of looking at it really and that's very true
1: yeah there's a, there's a lot of um sort of opinions or there's the, some the emphasis of some programs um that will you know aim to make you a data scientist in 6 months or whatever and they drill you to death on i don't know the nitty gritty or the the deep, deep going deeper and deeper on maybe you know gradient sort of descent Algorithms or whatever. Oh, you need to be able to do this. You need to be able to, uh, you know, sort of invert this matrix well Yeah, you know, I don't really care For somebody who can just go sort of deeper and deeper into some arcane detail about some gradient descent method and or to be able to particularly argue for sort of uh, Adam over, you know, some other approach um I want them to be able to tackle the right problem, and I think that is what ninety-nine percent of people want. Because mm. if if you're Google, if you have got a thousand people, which I was uh, re- heard the other day, they've got got something like a thousand engineers working on TensorFlow. Okay, sure. They're probably not going to need to know necessarily the. Um, wider business context they are there to drill down and optimize some particular bit because for google it is worth it that role is dedicated to drilling down in 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 that particular aspect uh for google it is worth refining performance by you know a thousandth of a decimal place of a percentage because with their volume of business that equates to a million dollars a day, for mm. example, sure. But 99% of businesses, I'm absolutely convinced would just benefit from a sound data strategy and people looking critically, creatively at the, uh, where, where data can uh, sort of really help there what a good solution is because that good solution will most likely for the vast majority of people be one of the more classic machine learning algorithms
0: Mm. yeah absolutely I can see that Um, and I guess you know from your experiences so far and uh, you know having uh got to where you've got to in your data science career if you were to let's say you're a business now that is aware of data science and quite committed you know at surface level to to implementing uh data science strategy for the business what do you what would you say the kind of key learns you know and what, what advice would you give company um, who's looking to build out a, you know data science function from scratch Are there any sort of key pieces of advice or key learns that you think would be worthwhile them taking on board
1: I think for the the overarching question is are you ready to build out a data science team um, do you have a clear a, a real clear picture of what your business strategy is do you have a data architecture, a a good infrastructure there in place. That may mean that you've got data engineers in there, you know, is is the data there, is the infrastructure there? Um, And what do you want that data science team to do? So ideally, you would have some clear problems defined that you would really like a data science team to do that they could come in and start working on And there's the data and there's the infrastructure there to do it. And it is aligned with your business strategy. I think that's the key thing, really, because you can't just get data scientists in and expect them to sprinkle this magic pixie dust around. They need to have a problem to work on and that, that moves your business forwards. And they need to have the means... To
0: work on it mm. yeah absolutely i think mean, it's again it's a kind of it's a very holistic approach isn't it i guess that it for it to be successful and i think it's a really good point to to labor that it has to be um i guess with lots of things in life but it has to be balanced and it has to be a holistic approach for it to be successful it's not a one-trick pony that's gonna come in and um you know transform um without making the the necessary commitments uh, in other areas so it can
1: it, it can depend on the size of the organization as well of course uh if you're a small startup then it it you may you may still be sort of shaping the actual question the actual problem and that's fine but you should know that you're probably then looking for uh someone who can wear many hats who can do some sort of data engineering that can put a bit of infrastructure in place that can help you shape the business question and then do something intelligent with that data over time you would be looking at consolidating those roles uh, because there would be more data engineering to do so you know get a be you a know, proper sort of data engineer in place on the other hand if you're already a bigger organization um then you you'd probably then you've probably already got say the data flowing around doing something so make sure that you've got that data engineering in place to to make that effective so you have got the right data in the right place um so that then you can bring in someone who would be a data scientist and you know mostly just wear that data science hat
0: mm yeah i think it's interesting the roles you know it's something we see in a lot of uh, it seems quite fluid in a lot of companies at the moment you know it's um quite rightly i think it probably sh- it should be that way but um yeah it's it's not like a lot of uh, teams have right this is the uh, data science team this is the data engineering team it, it does still seem it's quite uh, quite fluid and changeable in terms of how companies are structuring that that team and the sort of different roles and responsibilities um because i guess it is a very yeah you know, very quickly evolving market isn't it constantly evolving um, but I suppose on that note I mean what what are you most excited about you obviously talk about this AI you know versus machine learning what what is that actual concept but yeah, what are you most excited about you know as you kind of look to the future in terms of um, of the world of AI if that's what you want to call it at the moment uh, you know what, what are you kind of most excited about?
1: I'm very tempted to say I'm looking forward to people stopping talking about it. (laughs) Good answer. Uh, Serious, I'm actually, seriously, I would love to never hear that term again, ever. AI. Yes. Um, There is the connotation that it's this magical thing, or it's machines thinking intelligently for themselves. Oh yes, let's sort of, you know, have this discussion about the AI singularity so no let's not um we we we're not in a, an asimov robot novel uh just yet um but also in a very pragmatic sense you don't hear people really banging on about big data these days oh you need to get you know you, we need to get into big data because it's just data now people talk about data
0: mm.
1: big data is not a special thing it's just data why would you call it big um and i think in exactly the same way r- rather than sort of any pet peeve about what you know the interpretation or the the connotation of ai it would be great if it if that term would just fade away and we have um elegant efficient user interfaces smooth business processes uh, all of which that provide a, a great uh, smooth uh, customer experience mm. you know rather than having to say new improved ai or ai driven or ai enabled whatever that means mm. focus focus on the outcome and if you looked under the hood you you know you might find that it's using a lot of the tech or it's using algorithms that t- t- today we call ai but it's just at the point where people don't even think to bother to call it AI because it just is a great user interface or a great experience for the customer.
0: Yeah, that's that's a great point, and uh, I think AI, you know, it's it's a terminology that it is very steeped in. It's very emotionally charged, I think, for a lot of people as well, isn't it? I and mean, it is a huge buzzword, absolutely. But it's something that's just becoming, you know, however you want to badge it. It is something that's been talked about so often, and actually becoming a part of our lives. And I guess when we sort of look look back at having this conversation with someone the other day about you know how how good a predictor of the future um, films like you know Back to the Future were, and actually how much of the stuff that was around then it was prophesied for the future have actually built today. Um, but I guess it's kind of for the first time we're starting to get to the point now where all that stuff in the movies you know it's it's kind of entering into our lives a little bit more under this banner of AI, but, but like you said, actually, genuinely speaking, in terms of how data science and machine learning and, and AI actually benefits our lives, other than talking to Alexa and telling her to order some more coffee pods, you know, it is actually about user user experience and you know, automating processes and, uh, you know, helping make our life more efficient, absolutely. and uh, I, I,
1: I, th- I think Alexa is a great, I, I love the example of Alexa, because if you pull on that thread, um what what actually is it? Where does AI come into this? So let, let AI, let's reduce that to, to machine learning. So machine learning, yes, you've got some voice recognition there. Alexa responds to the trigger word and then it takes the waveform of your voice. And it's, a, it, it's an amazing achievement over the last like, 10 years, how speech recognition has come on. And it takes that waveform and it can translate that into words. That's a fantastic achievement. It's hardly AI, it's just a nice bit of machine learning to say, okay, I, I've decoded the words that the person just spoke. Mm. Then what happens? Well, what happens then is not AI. It is not some AI called Alexa that knows what you want. It is essentially a set of really dumb rules Mm. that take those words and then say, okay, this is the action I'm going to perform. Mm. And those words have to really be programmed by someone with, you know, when when they set up the Alexa skill. Yeah. So I I, I think I love that example because yes, you got some nice machine learning there to work out what the words were, but... The rest of it is not AI. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's a good point, isn't it? Because there's there's no kind of continued learning, I guess, from from that point onwards in terms of the models. Not it's not getting better at predicting efficiencies and things. Like I said, it's just a it's a stimulus and response kind of system. But it everybody associates it with AI because it's it's starting to be the way we're involving you know engaging the technology and it's starting to take more of a a human form, I guess. However you want to you know an intelligent form. But like you said, yeah, to, to all intents and purposes, there isn't really a huge amount of ongoing machine learning involved in, you know, it's not, it's not really a model, is it, in, in fairness? It's just uh, it's more of a, a voice recognition system.
1: Well, I mean, well, the, the voice recognition bit is a model, and that that that's cool. But then the actions that are triggered as a result of that, it's very rule-driven, very yeah. programmatic, really. Yeah. Um, and I think an, another thing that I sort of dislike about the the AI term is I actually saw this comment on a LinkedIn post uh, to just today, and it was can AI be used to save our planet? And it kind of really bugs me because <laughs> people, humans, are the entities with agency here. Um, you know if any if anyone's, if anything is going to save the planet, it's us. You know, we can't say, oh, can AI save the planet for us? No, it's down to us. Um, So to sort of imbue this AI um, with this kind, with with this agency, this idea that it's intelligent um, is actually um, kind of, pretty much an abrogation of our own responsibilities. AI or, you know, the machine learning, you know ai is never going to solve those wider dirtier problems for us it is just computers and algorithms that are great at doing some number crunching and Mm. as such they can be fantastically good at doing exactly that but we need to make sure that we get them to crunch the right numbers in the right way and give us an output that is fundamentally useful to us and it's going to be up to us to
0: act on that Mm. yeah absolutely it's it's uh i agree it's it's you know uh, i guess a tool more than a, an intelligence isn't it and uh i think i think it's because people are starting to recognize now like you say with the, the, the likes of big data and whatever but just the computational power obviously that machines have you know in terms of being able to process data in in a, a singular form you know obviously it does far outweigh human ability which i guess obviously people there's that element of kind of fear about to a degree that it could sort of evolve from that point onwards but you know like you said intelligence is it's, it's contextual isn't it and obviously humans have the ability to marry together uh, i mean i suppose you've got this whole argument about multimodal machine learning and and obviously you now algorithms get into the level of sophistication where they can spot context and and start interacting with each other and take different sort of um, forms of input to you know, create links, but you know it, we're we're so so far away from that point, aren't we? Of, um, of of getting to a level of intelligence, I guess, that's going to be in a position to uh, be anywhere near equated to humans and what we can do. Um, but is this kind of ongoing, interesting ethical debate, isn't there? About it? is there a point at which it, it will, you know, uh, Terminator <laughs> springs to mind. Um,
1: I I think a much better a much better word to use for the A is augmented. Um, the, mm. What we've got, it, it's very much a, a means to augment what we do. Uh, you know, you've got very, ad, ad, you've got advanced, uh, you know, fundamentally aerodynamically unstable fighter aircraft um, that just would be impossible to f- for a human to fly unaided um and so you could call it ai but you've got a computer system there that takes care of you know the fine detail of trimming the aerodynamics of the aircraft um that's augmenting but you've still got the pilot
0: yeah 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 true yeah very very interesting points well uh it's been absolutely uh fascinating Chat guy, and thanks very much for, uh, for coming on. I I always like to finish every podcast by asking a question that I uh, I stole from Rich Reid, uh, which is basically asking somebody for their they've got a favorite piece of advice or a favorite kind of go to piece of advice that they uh, they like to share with their fellow human whenever they can. Um, have you got anything that, that springs to mind that's uh, a go to favorite of yours?
1: Uh-huh. Uh This this is uh i i will have and i will think of it probably about 5 minutes after we <laughs> end this call um <laughs> oh give us that give us a help any particular sort of application or sort of walk of life or content? i mean
0: i mean no no not really i mean the book is um the book i read was uh, if i could tell you one thing by a guy called rich reed who uh actually created the innocent smoothie you know the innocent smoothies brand he uh he created that and uh, he wrote this quite interesting book it's quite a, sort of a digestible little read that uh he went around to all the famous people in the world and kind of, you know, sort of asked them what's the one piece of advice as you know, to why you've been so successful in doing what you've done. And you know, they're, they're very, very wide ranging in terms of, you know, bits of feedback like Bill Clinton, for instance, his favorite piece of advice is just be, um, genuine and authentic and nice to everybody you, you meet, not just, you know, remember, remember people that you, you know, um, yeah, pay attention to everybody basically you don't sort of ignore people that you don't think are the important people and just things like that really if there's any kind of life lessons but I guess in in this in this sort of application if there's one piece of advice uh, maybe that's relevant to the, uh, the the theme of today's podcast around growing a team and um, you know if there's one overarching piece of advice that, that would be uh, I'm sure very very beneficial to share as well
1: Um. Uh well, I think one one of my uh um sort of I suppose favorite bits of uh just general pithy advice uh would be to quote Bill Hicks, uh, which I won't do on this uh, publication. <laughs> I'll just leave I'll just leave people uh, to sort of uh, that might know it or to sort of go and search for them for themselves but it's basically a singular piece of advice on not to be something Um,
0: (laughs) I think I know what that is (laughs)
1: um but yeah otherwise I think yeah that that genuineness I think I think there's I think maybe even the time for sort of schools and education establishments training uh to Uh, have the role of training the next generation of of filing clerks, of civil servants to sort of fit in their place in society and and take work from their inbox and do the standard thing to it and put it in their outbox. That's pretty much largely, you know, those those days are are sort of pretty much in the past now. Um, And so I think there's definitely, picking up on your, your sort of theme of being genuine, Everybody can bring unique contributions, unique viewpoints to something. So, and I get a lot, I get students saying how should I, how should I handle this missing value? How should I treat this? You know, what, what, what should I do at this, at this point? And giving them a specific thing to do is impossible because there's not a a generally a singular right answer there you you need to be sort of true to yourself you need to um you know bring those unique combinations to um sort of a a a place because that is that is where you can bring a real contribution i've not uh rightly or wrongly uh sort of for you know with the successes and failures of had i've not had my successes really because i've done necessarily what someone else wanted to be done what i thought was the standard thing to do it's having that idea of this is the strategy this is what we want to do this is what i think should be done and going with that so you know when a student says what should i do here i think it's valid to say well what do you think you should do here, because this is where, by by kind of doing your own thing, by having the confidence to do your own thing, I think you can actually bring some real, real strengths to organisations, because they will get nowhere. If they already knew exactly what they wanted you to do, and just wanted you to do it, they should probably have just programmed, got a computer program. To do it so you are there to do something unique so do it
0: yeah yes that's great advice absolutely yeah and uh that's certainly something i subscribe to as well i mean not only is it a i think it's a good management tool to ask somebody to get to the answer themselves and think about it rather than being you know fed the answer but i also genuinely agree with you that often by somebody taking their own course of action, you know, psychologically they're a lot more likely to follow through on it and they're going to pursue it with a lot more volition because it's, uh, it's empowering, isn't it? And giving people the autonomy to move forward. And it's, it's exactly the way, you know, one of the core values of, of True North as a business is all about innovation. Uh, all right, I've got 13 years experience in tech recruitment, but I'm not going to sit here and say, I know everything about it. And this is the only way we're ever going to do it. And I welcome people that are coming into the business day one come with any fresh ideas about anything they think they can they can help uh you know and anything that they they want to do Um i think that's really how most businesses should should operate in terms of you know um evolution and innovation of ideas you know if you were, so you can avoid a kodak moment at somewhere down the line um uh, mm.
1: oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um but yeah, I the, the innovation thing's a a good example. It's like, yeah, we value innovation. I want you to innovate and I want you to in, innovate in exactly the way that I think you should.
0: <laughs> yeah. You innovate but within this little box, Pete.
1: Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. It, yeah. in, it innovates as long as it's exactly what I want you to do.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh well, awesome. guys, it's been a absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for uh to being with us today and sharing some really interesting perspective and really interesting thoughts. And uh yeah, I uh look forward to keeping in touch and uh i guess that's uh that's that's a wrap on on the episode of guy squared
1: yeah thank you for inviting me
0: take care see you soon
1: cheers bye